This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anok, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. What do upside-down catfish, electric blue dempseys, and earth eaters all have in common? They and many other fascinating species are farmed by John Skidmore of Golden Pond Tropicals in Florida. John raised shrimp in the Caribbean and Hawaii for 15 years before moving to Florida to breed aquarium fish. Why the switch and why these fish? Join us as we learn more about John's work at Golden Pond Tropicals. We'll be right back after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is John Skidmore, owner and operator of Golden Pond Tropicals in Florida. Hey, John, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you kind of had a really interesting career in aquaculture. Um, I like to ask some personal questions at the beginning regarding how you got interested in fish at, at an early age. What was your very first aquarium setup, and do you remember what your very first fish were? I don't remember specifically, but I do. I know when I was a kid, you know, you couldn't drive past an aquarium store without me begging to go in. I think they placate me. My parents got me, you know, the standard setups: fancy guppies, goldfish, and. I think I had a beta once and that sort of thing. And then later in life, you know, I advanced more you know, to other stuff. Now, you were, I guess, must have been thinking about aquaculture. What did you study in college and what made you decide to get a master's at Texas A&M? Well, I was getting my undergraduate degree in, in wildlife management in Lubbock at uh, Texas Tech. And for a summer job, I went to work. I worked on a uh, shrimp farm and sort of caught the bug. And then that's why I decided to go to Texas A&M to study, but to study aquaculture specifically. But they, you know, I got my master's in fishery science because that was the degree they offered. What made you kind of decide to go into shrimp farming? What was it about it that you really got excited about? I just found it. I just found it fascinating, and and the opportunity presented itself as well. My father was the defense attaché in Belize, and. During the summers, I would go there and spend spend the summer. And I, there were a couple of uh, oil men from Texas that were down there looking to build a, a shrimp farm. And I got connected with them through the embassy. And that, you know, I worked a summer job doing some logistical work for them, looking for a place, doing soil samples and investigating different properties. And uh, then the following summer, they did a pilot project. And I worked on, on that. And then that was about the time I was graduating from college and looking for a career. I uh, 
looked at A&M, Texas A&M, for my master's degree and got it in aquaculture and actually went to, back to work for these same people, and, and I ran a shrimp hatchery. Then eventually I ended up running the whole farm, and it just sort of took off from there. And then I went to work for several other operations as well in the Dominican Republic and Hawaii. So what made you decide to come to Florida and start working on aquarium fish from shrimp? Okay. Yeah, I did come back to Florida. I was a military brat, and my father was stationed in McDill Air Force Base for a while. The shrimp business is a big agribusiness, and so you've got to have really deep pockets to get into it. So I've always worked, always worked for bigger, you know, big investors. And but I've always wanted to work for myself. And this, the aquarium industry, is a small niche industry, and so I was able to get into it and afford, you know, to get into it and do it on my own. And that was really the driving force that I wanted. I wanted to be my own boss. And of course, I love aquarium fish, so that helped too. Can you briefly describe your farm facility, you know, when you started and maybe a little bit about, about your place so uh, our listeners have an idea of your setup? Okay. I've got 97 ponds spread over about 10 acres of land. And they're probably average sizes, say, on the surface water would be 20 foot wide by 40 feet long. They have about 20,000 gallons or so in it. And then I've got two greenhouses and one cement building, uh, roughly about 10,000 square feet under cover under roof and then probably around 300 vats ranging from you know 100 gallons up to, to 500 gallons most of them are around 200 gallons and uh, some aquariums where I do where I set up breeders and things but most of the stuff is larger systems now does your family work with you my wife keeps the books and does deliveries at one point or another all my daughters I have three daughters have worked with me and I have one daughter working for me now I can't say they they care for the business very much. <laughs> that is not what I do. They don't have the same passion. Gotcha. But they're helping out. They are helping out. So you started, uh, I guess, 2002. What was the very first type of fish that you raised when you were early on? I purchased an existing operating farm. And so the main bread and butter items here were the uh, red tail shark, rainbow shark, and the Cynodonus eupterus, and the, uh, the African cloud frogs, Xanopus lavis. There were a few other items here, like plecos and stuff, too, that helped out. Okay. I think when we talked a little earlier, it sounds like you're producing over 40 different species of fish and the frogs. What would you say are your top five sellers? The top five sellers would be the upside-down catfish, the iridescent shark, the Cynodonus eupterus, and then this year, the green terror has fallen into the top five. And I don't know, did I cover five there? Oh, plecos. And yeah, plecos. Yeah, okay. plecos are another big item. Okay. So let's talk about some of these in a little bit more detail. You mentioned iridescent sharks. Can you... Describe a little bit about the broodstock and how you breed these. I think a lot of folks don't know how big the broodstock are <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, and, they, but it's, uh, they grow pretty big. The broodstock are out in ponds, and uh, the females are around 35 pounds, say 25 to 35 pounds. The males are a little smaller, so 15 to 20 pounds. That's a lot of fun. You know, we, we sane them up into a corner of the pond when we want to breed them and kind of throw a wet towel over their head, try to calm them down a little bit, and then grab them and hold them close to your body so that they don't stick you with their pectoral fin in your in your gut and run them up the bank and throw them into a tub of uh, tranquilizer to calm them down a little bit so you can handle them. Then we bring them inside, and these are strip spawns, so we inject them with a hormone to induce spawning, and then we come back a little later and strip them, strip the males, mix the eggs, egg and sperm together, and hatch them out in jars. Uh, that's the basic process. About how many would you get from a female? About how many eggs? I use a strip the eggs into a two-gallon bucket, and it can fill, like fills a quarter of that bucket. So you're looking at about a half a gallon of eggs out of one female. Okay. And, uh, 
It's a lot of eggs, several hundred thousand. Sounds like it. So uh, maybe describe iridescent sharks. I'm sure a lot of folks are familiar with them, but there are probably some that aren't. What do they look like? It is a catfish, and it's got a, well, iridescent color and uh, sort of long and long and narrow with a sort of a vertical stripe on it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, to describe that. <laughs> okay. It gives them a little of an idea. What about uh, water quality requirements? Do they have any specific you know, water like if someone's trying to keep these? And, and what size do they normally have them at the stores? The, well, the most popular size to purchase them at is, is around two inches. And they do have a bad rap for being tank busters, but I have kept them in my aquarium for up to five years. And if you keep them confined and, and uh, you know, a small school of them in a confined aquarium, they will stay small for, for a pretty long time. Um, I think in five years, they grew from two inches to four inches. See, the water parameters, it's a really hardy fish, and it's pretty easy to keep. There's nothing magical about it. I'd say, you know, you want something around a 6.5, 7.5 pH um, water hardness. My water hardness here is 12, and they do fine. But, you know, they can handle down to, say, 2. And okay, and you mean at 12 grains. grains or 2 grains, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, I wanted to move over to one of my favorite groups. You mentioned the Cynodonis and uh, the Upside Down Catfish. The Cynodonis catfishes are really uh, fascinating. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about where they come from originally, what they look like, and some of the interesting reproductive behaviors of these? Okay, they come from Africa. The Upside Down comes from the Congo River, Upside Down Catfish. I think quite a few other Cynodonis come from the Congo River as well. But their Cynodonis really spread out all through Africa. Quite sure the region where the euchres comes from, which is one of my bigger items. But I also do the Cynodonis decorus, Cynodonis negrita, Cynodonis acellifer, Flavitaniata. Probably missed a few in there. And I don't really know their reproductive behavior because I'm forcing them to spawn. I'm doing strip spawning. But they're sort of a kind of a more of a fat catfish. The upside down catfish is really interesting. It swims upside down most of its life, although it will turn over to, to feed on the bottom of the of a tank and its name is Cynodonis nigraventris, which in the name is it's got a black ventral area. So the bottom of the fish is black, and the and the top of the fish is white, which is the opposite of what you find in in most fish in nature. So a predator looking down through the water, you're not going to see the fish as well when if it's swimming upside down. And a predator looking up from the bottom, not going to see the fish as well if it has a lighter a lighter top. So it's just the opposite of what you find in nature with most other fish. Okay. The one, I guess I'll mention it because the one I'm, I was always fascinated by was, uh, the, I guess it's a multipunctata now, the Cynodonis multipunctata. That fish uh, apparently will act like a cuckoo bird and will lay its eggs when other cichlids are spawning and then the cichlids will you know, raise them in their mouths. So that one was always kind of a fascinating one for me. And I understand you're uh, induced spawning all of them now, which is obviously a lot more uh, efficient. Right. I did the multipunctatas for a while, but it's a real low, low fecundity. You only get about 200 eggs per female. That was a bit of a challenge. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. So in general, uh, what would you, I guess, for uh, any hobbyists that were looking at Cynodonis, what, what kind of requirements do they have for water quality? And, you know, do they get along with other fish? What, what would be uh, your advice for, for folks that are interested in these? Yeah, they're pretty docile. They get along with just about anything. It's a pretty easy fish. I would say a pretty easy fish to take care of. It could handle a pretty wide variety of water conditions. It typically, you know, your standard aquarium. Do uh, they get along in the community tank? Are they fairly... Yes, they would no, get along. No, uh, nothing... They are typically a nocturnal fish, so a lot of hobbyists will keep plant them in a, you know, sort of have their own setup and then put a moonlight in there, you know, and turn off the lights and so that they can watch their activity a lot more because they might have a tendency in an aquarium to go and hide during the daytime. So if you really want to see them moving around and doing stuff, you know, you want to put a moonlight on the tank and turn the lights off and sit back and watch them. 
Okay. Well, I've got a lot more questions, but let's take a short break and we'll continue our discussion with John Skidmore from Golden Pond Tropicals after these messages from our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, John Skidmore from Golden Pond Tropicals Incorporated in Florida. So, John, we were talking a little bit about the Cynodonis catfish, really, really fascinating group of fish from Africa. Let's switch over now. You, you do a lot of different species. Let's talk a little bit about the South American cichlids. I know you do a lot of the geophagus and also the electric blue jack dempseys. So let's start with the electric blue jack dempseys. What, what is your um, knowledge in terms of when those first got into the hobby and, and how did you get involved with raising them? If you could maybe describe them for folks who aren't familiar with them. Okay. Uh, the, yeah, the electric blue jack dempsey is a beautiful fish. It is, it is literally electric blue and uh, it's highly highly sought after, very popular. And it's a color variant of the regular Jack Dempsey. I guess it's found, you know, in nature kind of very rarely. But what we've done, it took several years to get, get my brood stock where they are now. You know, you take the electric blue Jack Dempsey. This is a typical Mendelian cross. You know, you have the electric blue Jack Dempsey, which is two recessive uh, genes for the blue. And you cross that with a homozygote regular Jack Dempsey. Then you've got a heterozygote Jack Dempsey that carries the dominant gene and the recessive gene. Then you cross that back with a electric blue jack density, which has the two recessive genes. And then theoretically, according to the Mendelian cross, you're going to get 50% electric blues and 50% regulars. Of course, the electric blue is a little bit weaker fish, so in a good system, I get maybe a third uh, electric blues back. And this is well documented and, um, you know, on the Internet, so I'm not really giving away any secrets here. Yeah, I've really enjoyed playing with that fish. It's, you know, I'm, even though I'm in business to make money, I can't help but try to have fun doing it. With these guys, how are they um, being spawned and you know raised? How are they different from the ones you're we mentioned earlier? I'm pond spawning these, which I guess most hobbyists and uh, a lot of even other producers are tank spawning them. But I've, I'm doing it in, in ponds and, and getting pretty good results. So basically, I just set up the breeders in, in the pond and then come back a couple months later and start trapping them out. Do you know roughly about how many uh, eggs or babies you get per female? Don't know. I might get 5,000 fish okay. back out of a pond. But, you know, not every pair is spawning. Right. Okay. What about in terms of uh, for a, a hobbyist? Are they going to be more aggressive? Oh, yeah. Jack Dempsey's an aggressive fish. Yeah, they will. Either you got to keep them by yourself or you can keep aggressive fish with less aggressive fish, but you you know, typically you want to put your less aggressive fish in first, let them establish it as a home and then add your aggressive fish and sometimes you can get away with it and sometimes you can't. But they are they are very aggressive. Okay. That probably explains the name. 
<laughs> so yeah. the geophagus, or I guess the earth eaters, you do quite a few of those. And I think some folks may not be familiar with them. Can you tell people a little bit about that group and um, I guess how you got involved with, with the uh, species as well? Right. The geophagus, yeah, I like the geophagus because they are, they're less aggressive, or most of them are anyway, and they can be kept in community tanks. Um, they don't really fight that much. So it's one of the reasons why I, I got them. Uh, the other reason I started getting into geophagus was just calling around to different vendors and seeing what they needed, and, and I was looking for something where I could create a niche for myself and, and do stuff that a lot of other people aren't doing, and, and the geophagus fell into that category. Like you said, they are earth eaters, so I typically look for ponds that have good sand bottom in them. And a lot of this is trial and error. Uh, you know, I have 97 ponds. Some of them have mud bottoms and lots of grass growing around the sides. Some have lots of stumps in them. Some have lots of rocks in them. And you just got to find what fish does best in, in which pond. And it's been trial and error. Some like the stumps, some like the rocks, some like the grass. And uh, just over the years, we've, we've just sort of figured it out. Can you describe maybe a little bit about their uh, shape and their coloration as well? Is there and maybe some of the differences between the species? Okay. Their shape, well, they're thin, but they're, in general, sort of taller, broad. Their height might be as long as their length. Not in all of them. Maybe, maybe that might be over-exaggeration. Over but Then they have a long, let's say like the thread fin, they have a long what is it, pectoral string that goes all the way back, way behind their body. And uh, coloration varies quite a bit. They can be very colorful. Uh, the redhead tapajos are beautiful fish, have a lot of big redhead. See the pellegrini, highly sought after. It's got some bright yellow lips and thick bars that go down the side. What about their uh, point of origin in, in nature? Where do these guys come from? Mostly South America, Central America to South America, but probably more central from Colombia on up down south more. I'm not an expert on their natural history. Just those areas. Okay. And I guess in terms of, I mean, I know they're earth eaters, but what are they doing? They're kind of just going through and, and are they just trying to sift out things from the bottom then or what, what are they actually eating? Right. Yeah, they'll pick up gravel and sand and put it in their mouth yeah, and sift through it. And then they probably use a little bit of it for digestion, have a little, maintain a little bit in their gut. Okay. Now for folks that are thinking about keeping these, you said they're less aggressive than the, uh, the Dempsey's. What would your recommendations be or can they kind of, can they go with other fish as well? Or are they still going to be a, you know, a little more aggressive than non-cichlid fish because of their, you know, the fact that they're cichlids? Yeah, I'm not for sure on this, but I think you could probably keep them in a pretty good aquarium community tank, particularly and if how- you introduce the non-aggressive fish first and then put them in. They will be a little bit aggressive, I guess. You know, they might chew the fins off a guppy or a fancy guppy or something, but I think that there's a lot of fish you could raise them with quite easily. And how many of these can you put together? Do they get along with each other? Yes, they will get along quite well with each other. Okay. On water quality-wise, what would you say their um, preferences are? Are they fairly general? They're fairly general, although there's, some, there's a lot of variations as well. There are some geophagus that, that prefer acidic water. But most of the stuff I'm raising will handle, you know, like I said, most of my water is, is 12 grains, but you can, they'll handle 5 to 15 easily. Um, temperature, standard aquarium temperature, maybe 72 to 80. So it's, I think, reasonably easy fish to take care of. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about your frogs, since you know, a lot of the farms don't normally do frogs. You mentioned that you, I guess, inherited some of them um, what, when you, you know, first started. What species specifically can you kind of remind us what you're doing, and how do you breed these as well? Yeah, okay. I'm raising the Xanapus lavis, which is the African clawed frog. 
And basic setup is I, I keep the males and females separate while I'm conditioning them because they'll just constantly want to breed. And then when I want to breed them because I want to control the spawning so that I you know maintain the numbers that I'm trying to get. You know I, I bring the males and females together. I do give them an injection of hormone to uh, to induce the spawning. And there's some temperature controls that I, that I do to to help induce the spawning, induce spawning as well. And then you set them up, and then 24 hours later, you remove the, the breeders, and you've got a tank full of eggs. How about from eggs till they become froglets, I guess? What's the length of time, and you know how long does all that normally right. take? So yeah, so you have a tank with a bunch of small eggs on the bottom of it, and uh, it takes around three or four days to hatch out till they're wiggling. They, they start feeding right away, so I start feeding them a, basically a dried algae that I throw in there, spirulina algae, and they will stay they're teeny tiny tadpoles, and they, you know, slowly grow over six to eight weeks into uh, into frogs. And they start metamorphosing tadpoles with legs around six weeks, and then you've got a full-size frog or cellar frog at around eight weeks, eight to ten weeks. Okay, so are you are you selling them at about eight weeks then? Is that or are, you, are they getting a little bigger first? Around eight to ten weeks. I want to get them a little bit bigger than a, a nickel to a quarter size is the ideal market size for that frog. Now, do you sell to, I know it's used a lot in, in a laboratory research as well. Do you sell to laboratories or is it primarily for the aquarium industry? I primarily sell to brokers, so I don't really know who no, their customers okay. are. I think the dominant customer is, is the aquarium industry. Okay. So what do you enjoy the most then? You've done shrimp and you're doing ornamental fish, you know, quite a few species. What do you enjoy the most about working with the aquarium fish industry and find the most challenging? I love the aquarium industry, uh, fish industry. I like the whole lifestyle. I'm here on the farm. I wake up and walk barefoot to my office and grab a cup of coffee and start you know, answering phone calls. I see my kids when they go to school. I see my kids when they come home from school. Um, I see my wife you know, throughout the day, and uh, you know, I get to play in the mud, play with fish that I love. You know, so it's, just, it's just a good lifestyle. I really, I really like it. What do you find maybe the, the tough part of it or the challenges of being an aquarium okay, fish well, farmer? Yeah, I'd say the part I least like, the part I most like, is putting fish together and getting them to spawn and seeing the babies grow. You know, that's with life. There's is death, and you do have death. You know, it's it's sad to go in and see a vat of fish that you've worked on and they've got ick or something, and 50% of them are dead, and you you've got to turn that back around and nurse them back to health, and and that's just part of the business. So I'd say that's the part I like the least. Yes. So I have to mention because you know you are one of the producers here that are doing a lot of the more difficult species and really making some great inroads into some of the harder fish. The Pictus catfish, really beautiful, commonly ex- imported South American fish you've been working on for a while. What's your uh, most current status on production of the Pictus catfish? I've done better this year than I've, I've ever done. I think I, I know what it takes now to get it to commercial production. It does have a, a lot of challenges some bottlenecks that I've still got to work out. But yeah, I've, I've been working on that fish for, I don't know, four or five years. I sold a few, some last year, but this year I've, I've produced quite a few and i actually doing pretty well with it. It'll probably be in my top five fish by next year. That's great. And for folks that aren't familiar, it's a really beautiful silvery fish with a lot of spots all over the place on the fish. Very uh, popular in the hobby. Now, you mentioned that you actually skydive. Do you really skydive? Yes, I do. Yeah, that's my, my new hobby. Well, new hobby. When I turned 50 years old, I did it just as a bucket list cross-off. And after the first jump, I said, well, I'm doing this again for sure. And I've been doing it ever since. You're doing it actually with your daughter and your wife or just the daughters? or? No, just my daughters. I can't get my wife to do it. I wish I could. She's, she's, she's <laughs> <husband>. <laughs> but I do go out no, with my daughter. Great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of fun. 
I've been thinking about it, but um, maybe when I'm 50, I'll do it. We'll be next year, so we'll see. Well, yeah. unfortunately, we're out of time. I did want to thank you, John, and our producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. John, did you have any final words of wisdom or, or information for our listeners? Yeah, keep buying fish. I, me and my family appreciate it very much. Keep loving the hobby. I always did when I was younger, and I still love the hobby. Yeah, yeah. thanks, everyone. I appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot, John, for uh, joining us. Please be sure to check out the Aquarium Mania site with John's webpage, and uh, we'll have more information there on that site. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy at petliferadio.com. That's D-R-R-O-Y at petliferadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, one of my favorite aquariums. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores and keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy. And keep a lookout for upside-down catfish and electric blue Jack Dempsey's. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.